Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today's August 9. This is episode number 70. Well, just ahead, could an amendment to the infrastructure bill force crypto companies to leave the United States? The biggest crypto company says yes. Plus massive inflation, double digit inflation in chicken prices. And a literal magic bullet helping fuel fantastic growth for one outdoor equipment company, our guest, Vista Outdoor CEO, Chris Metz. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, Amazon, TuneIn. But hit the subscribe button to make sure you catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We will have some drill downs with some business stories behind Stocks and a Move. But first... Let's get to the news. Executive producer Isaac Webster joins us with the three most important business stories of the day. Thank you, Corey. Number one, let's start with oil prices. Oil prices continue to fall on worries the Delta variant will weaken the global economy and reduce demand for fuel. Oil prices are now around their lowest level in two and a half months, falling as much as 4.6% today, near its lowest price since late May, and about 11% below a recent multi-year high from mid-July. Still, prices are still well above the $50 level where they started the year. Investors are particularly concerned about tumbling demand in China, and traders are also weighing a wave of delays in return to office plans for U.S.-based companies like Amazon and Wells Fargo. And this also, those oil prices seem to hit the uh, E&P companies the most because they're all the, always the ones who have got to make a decision whether to take the oil out of the ground or not, depending what the price of oil is and their lifting costs, is, as we discuss so often. That's a ripple effect. And number two, available jobs in the U.S. rose to another record high at the end of June. In fact, job openings outnumber the number of unemployed Americans seeking work. This is the JOLTS report that I'm talking about from the Labor Department. Unfilled job openings rose to the highest level since the U.S. Labor Department began keeping records back in 2000. It's worth pointing out the June increase in job openings came ahead of an uptick in cases tied to that Delta variant. But the continued high number of openings indicates that the variant so far isn't affecting hiring plans. It's, it's Joel's report, just an amazing rise in the number of open jobs. So nothing we've seen. Uh, we've seen nothing like this for years and years and years. Again, uh, back to 2000. All right, and let's go to DraftKings. DraftKings is buying Golden Nugget, Nugget Online Gaming for about $1.56 billion in stock. Now, this deal gives DraftKings an existing combined database of more than 5 million customers. By using the Golden Nugget brand, DraftKings hopes to reach a broader consumer base for online casino games, also known as iGaming. Are you an iGamer, yeah. Corey? Uh, so I, I'm not a sports better on, uh, uh, on online. Um, uh, I just, you know, I'm just going to bookie Joey down the corner. No, <laughs> old school. the old days. No oh more. God. Look, what's really interesting here is this is really about um, uh, market share. There are so many public companies making this available. And while it's state by state, what's interesting here is FanDuel and DraftKings had 80% market share in June of 2020. They were down to less than 60% market share by March of 2021. Mm. Um, uh, that's according to Aptopia. 
So a real decline in market share. These guys have got to, got to go out and buy that market share because uh, they're losing it quickly. A lot of competition. Corey, what, are you, what stocks you're drilling down on today? Well, let's start with Tyson Foods. Tyson Foods, TSN shares have gained 19% in a year. What's new with Tyson? Well, Tyson reported uh, quarterly earnings, and it was a very strong quarter for Tyson, um, uh, and, and not least of which because there's people are spending money again, people are going to restaurants again, um, and they just reported just a super strong uh, quarter. So, you know, um, when you look at what they did, their revenue was up uh, to $12.5 billion. That's up 25% year over year. Their margins were fantastic because they were able to jack prices. And yet when they talked about what was going on in the quarter, they really said that kind of the, the price increases in the market were faster than they could raise prices, um, that, that, uh, that there's just so much demand for their product right now. Uh, here is the CEO of Tyson Foods, Donnie King, on this morning's conference call talking about about taking price and their inability to catch up with it. You know, we have seen accelerating and unprecedented inflation. So what do you do about that? Well, we're, um, we're, we have significant food service pricing already in the market. Uh, retail pricing will be in the market uh, by September 5th. You know, it, inflation is up uh, about 14% during our 3Q and 9% year to date. Uh, we've had, uh, just like other businesses, we've had labor and, and uh, uh, absenteeism and turnover in the business. Uh, we have a number of open positions. So that certainly has made us inefficient. And um, so we've got aggressive pricing going on. Aggressive revenue management and, and com commercial spend management will help mitigate a portion of these inflationary impacts. Uh, we'll have to get more pricing. Uh, but... Uh, we're, we're comfortable that uh, over time that our prepared foods is a double-digit business for us. And uh, uh, it's just a, you know, costs are hitting us faster than we can get pricing at this point. So I thought that was super interesting just that they've, they're, they're raising prices. The food service companies, so your restaurant prices are higher, your prepared food costs are higher. Grocery store is about to happen for Tyson Chicken, as he said, in September. Corey, what is your next drill down? Okay, interesting company uh, called Aterian. Aterian. I've never heard of Aterian. A-T-E-R right. sh share. shares tumbled today, and they've lost about 29% over the past 12 months. So tell me about Aterian. So this company uh, is on my list of things to keep an eye on because Kathy Woods, uh, that uh, investor who gets so much attention, or indeed a front page story in the Wall Street Journal on Friday with about Kathy Woods and how she... Her fund has had a tough year. This was a holding of hers. It was a $2 billion company uh, just a year ago. Now it's down to hundred, about a $200 million company uh, after just absolutely collapsing, as you mentioned, stock down, what, 32% today. You um, said $2 uh, billion? Yeah, it was $2 billion To $12 million. Now, no, no. The company's uh, market cap. It's now uh -huh. about two hundred million. It was about okay. two billion just a year ago. So, wow, uh, a tenth of what it was. Um, wow. The company yeah. went public just two years ago uh, as this incredible, cool, high tech play based in New York called the Mohawk Group. They changed their name to Aterian instead of Mohawk. I don't know if that was um, right around the time we got rid of the Cleveland Indians. I don't know, but uh, it's out of New York City. They describe themselves as a technology enabled consumer products company. So they uh, Ooh, they think they, nice. they've, they've got that's a fancy. A, this has got an artificial intelligence and machine learning 
machine that will be applied to consumer goods. Um, And they uh, founded it in 2014, took it public with Roth Capital Partners in 2019. That was the underwriting bank, one of the lead underwriters in it. Uh, They're smart products powered by artificial intelligence, uh, home ice makers, kitchen sets, hair straighteners, dehumidifiers. And they have their proprietary technology platform they talked about called AMI, A-I-M-E-E. AI is an artificial intelligence. They said it would give them real-time visibility to automate and manage products in an effort to create recurring and profitable revenue streams. Yeah, not so much. Now they say they can't get enough containers to get their products to market. Um, They had borrowed a bunch of money from a group called High Trail, and they didn't have enough EBITDA. They'd promised High Trail they would have a certain amount of EBITDA uh, by the second quarter of 2021. They didn't have it. The failure to have $12 million worth of adjusted EBITDA for the 12 months uh, in the last year through June uh, 30, the end of the second quarter, meant that High Trail could look at their loan and restructure it. So uh, Ateria had to had to uh, uh, throw in a bunch of money that they didn't, Aterian, I should say, uh, throw in a bunch of money to High Trail. They also had to readjust their warrants. So High Trail had warrants that were priced at $25 to $34, call it, three and a half million warrants. Well, those were repriced to the closing price of the stock today, which was $5.49. So imagine this company had three and a half million warrants expiring in 2026 that were priced at somewhere between $25 and $34. Bam, price comes down today to $6. I I don't know for a fact that all that they were selling, I said $5.49, right? That was a closing price. So I don't know that they were out there shorting the stock or pummeling the stock or trying to get the stock price down today. But I know that the stock price today reset the cost of high trails warrants. And so they had every um, uh, incentive to see the stock price down today. And indeed, that's what happened to stock cratering today. Here is the CEO of Ethereum trying to explain why inflation's bad for them. We just heard the CEO of Tyson saying, hey, we're raising prices and we're making more money as a result. and We're going to raise them some more. Well, here is Yanning Serig, the CEO of Ethereum, trying to explain to us why rising prices was bad for his company and they couldn't seem to recover from it, at least in the last quarter. Look, I mean, in general, we are in our business model, in our vision, all about getting consumers the best product their money can buy, right? And with that perspective, we're always trying to build products that are high quality, high value. But as you know, right, our contribution margins are delicate, right? From that perspective, we're moving a lot of products, um, but you know, if, if, uh, if performance-wise costs move too much, right, that there could be an impact. And so that's also some, somewhat affecting this year, right? You know, you have to understand that these increase in costs force us to increase our prices, which obviously diminishes the sales, right? It's a domino effect. As you increase prices, you're going to sell less units. And very importantly, if you go too high in price, right, you, you might even start losing market share and get yourself into a place where it's going to be very hard to take it back, to get it back, right? And so we've navigated that through uh, – you know, the, the, the quarter, right, by basically optimizing pricing uh, to find that sweet spot where we're performing well enough to um, maintain market share, which overall, again, on our core uh, lines, we believe we've, we've done well at doing that. Um, <clears throat> and without, again, creating long-term impact that's too, uh, that's too meaningful, right? Well, it looks like there's have some long-term impact here. So, I mean, it's just it's so interesting to have these two companies back-to-back 
one saying raising pricing is raising revenues and the other saying raising prices could cause us to lose market share. So that's why we had a lousy quarter. I love that story. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Coinbase. Coinbase. Coinbase trades under COIN. Shares rose today, but they've lost around 14% since they started trading earlier this year. What's new with Coinbase? So uh, a lot of drama in Washington, D.C. about Coinbase. So uh, in Washington, D.C., of course, there is that uh, giant infrastructure bill, which has support from both Republicans and Democrats. Imagine that. Uh, And yet within that bill, there is a provision backed by the Biden administration that aims to require brokers of things like, you know, crypto assets, like brokers like Coinbase, uh, and to report those gains in trading to the IRS. Um, the hope is that this would lead to $28 billion in revenue over the next decade to help pay for all the things in the infrastructure bill, including roads and bridges and ports and everything else. But the amount raised by the provision, it's not a big deal for this, you know, possibly trillion-dollar bill, but it signals, you know, Washington trying to get their hands around the revenues created from the trading of uh, crypto. Okay, that's cool. But within the crypto industry, it is believed to be so poorly written that it could affect anyone using crypto, just the movement of crypto, right? The transfer of crypto from one wallet, the use of crypto to affect the recording of a change of a, of a database could in fact trigger a, a cost assessment, a value assessment and a tax in such a ham-handed way that the concern is that companies would just leave the U.S. altogether and continue the movement. You know, most crypto innovation isn't happening in the U.S., I would argue. It's happening in Singapore. It's happening in Switzerland. It's happening in Malta. It's happening in China because those places have taken a largely hands-off approach. China may be the exception of late. And so there have been a handful of amendments and a lot of lobbying going on right now to try to fix the problems with this bill. Senator Mark Warner came in and, and had us what he thought was a solution And then the crypto industry thought this was even worse. Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, talking about how bad this was. He had this uh, multiple um, uh, uh, tweet storm over the the weekend, late on Friday, talking about all the problems with this bill and how it can move innovation off this country and be really ruinous to the entire sector and the creation of new crypto technological innovations. And then a new amendment from Senators Toomey, Warner, Loomis, Sinema, and Portman trying to fix Mark Warner's other uh, amendment and the original amendment uh, from Senator Wyden that was in this bill. This thing looks like it's got some momentum. Even as we're recording this podcast, uh, there might be a vote happening on the Senate floor for the Toomey, Warner, Loomis, Cinema Portman um, change to the bill. Here is uh, Senator Carol Loomis uh, of Wyoming talking about this bill, uh, about this amendment, um, and I thought really actually some of the most intelligent things I've heard coming out of the Senate about crypto to date. This is some statements she had earlier today, Senator Loomis. Um, I do believe that long term it will catch on. Um, I believe there are so many innovators in the United States right now. Uh, since China kicked out the Bitcoin miners, Uh, allegedly because of energy production, but we all know it's because they don't want the competition for the digital yuan. They want their currency, which is not um, transparent uh, on the the blockchain, but that allows them 
uh, access to the information on how the digital yuan is being used. Um, we want to make sure that uh, if there is a digital dollar or if stable coin becomes the standard for the fiat currency world and that uh, the non-fiat currency world can grow and interface with the fiat currency world, that you'll have sort of the best of both worlds. Uh, it will allow the non-banked uh, to participate in the economy, uh, just as we've seen uh, people in El Salvador do. And it will also allow people to use it as a store of value. Uh, so I'm optimistic. I think that there's so much um, energy and excitement and innovation in that space. It's almost like when the Internet first started, uh, we're seeing this exponential growth. And uh, so I'm very excited about this space, and I think that there's a lot to commend its very positive future in the United States. So how about that, Isaac? I mean, that sounded like someone who knows something about crypto. I will say that, that Wyoming has for a long time tried to become the center of U.S. crypto um, clarity uh, in their laws there about that treat crypto and encourage crypto development. A lot of that because of Caitlin Long, former Credit Suisse and Morgan Stanley um, uh, uh, trader, who is from Wyoming, lives in Wyoming now, trades crypto out of Wyoming, and has tried to guide the policy out of Wyoming. I'm, I don't know if she's responsible for Cynthia Loomis, Senator Cynthia Loomis, knowing so much about crypto, but I'm giving Caitlin Long credit. I'll check with her later today and find out if that was correct. I wouldn't have guessed that this leadership would come from Wyoming, but hey. Glad to have it because we need it. Uh, if we're going to have crypto developed in the same way that, you know, the the, the Clinton administration said about, about the internet, hands off won't tax it, let's let it develop and see if it can get big in the United States. The United States could be a leader and guess what that happened? Crypto should get the same kind of regulatory clarity. Maybe there's some hope yet. Speaking of hope, I don't care what kind of product, if you're in business and you're listening to this right now, and you are, you sell something. And if you sell some kind of product, you're gonna learn about how to sell products from Vista Outdoors CEO, Chris Metz, who joined us in just a minute. Absolute fascinating conversation. Isaac, you said to me earlier, you thought it was one of the best interviews we've ever done. Check out Chris I Metz stand after by this. Comment. There we go. We'll check it out after this. But first, here's another existential question for every business. When you're hiring, how do you know who's really best for the role? Save time and screen for quality candidates with the skills you need with Indeed Assessment. When hiring gets hard, you need Indeed. The job site that makes it incredibly simple to hire. Just attract, interview, and hire. In fact, with Indeed, you can do all of your hiring in one place, even interviewing. Don't just hope for the perfect candidate and that candidate will find you. Indeed's hiring tools help you cut through the noise and hire faster and smarter. Indeed Instant, Indeed Instant Match provides a list of quality candidates whose resumes are on Indeed the moment you post a sponsored job. With Indeed assessments, choose up from 135 skills tests Help make sure you're finding applications from people with the skills you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide and use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Get started right now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's Indeed.com slash drill down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drill down pod. And check out our website, bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks you think we should be drilling down on. 
Welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. We're joined right now by the CEO of Vista Outdoors. Very interesting company, I think, with lessons that apply to all kinds of companies, not just because it's caught uh, kind of COVID in a place that's really helped their business in some interesting ways, but also because it was uh, right on the heels of a turnaround led by Chris Metz, who joins us right now. Chris, the turnaround that you brought Vista into, you took over a company with lots and lots of brands, maybe going in lots and lots of different directions all at the same time. What did you see as the opportunity? You know, Corey, you know, first of all, my background, I spent 13 years grinding my teeth as a uh, as a product uh, manager growing up to president of Black & Decker. So really new consumer products inside and out. And then I spent 10 years in private equity, helping turn around companies and stretching a dollar further than it probably should be stretched. And so I looked at the situation where collection of some of the best brands in the industry, uh, 30, 40 of them that were being run by a team that really didn't understand consumer products. They created a very centralized, uh, heavy um, corporate uh, G&A type of structure and more of a monolithic structure that plays well to a single brand like a Nike, but not not to a collection of brands like us. So it pulled the accountability and the founder's mentality out of our brand. So first thing I did was um, was ripped out all the layers, about $100 million in G&A, so we could see a clear line of sight to customers. And then secondly, simplified the product offering and pulled out about 150 million of inventory. Now, this gave us the runway to start to take that billion two of debt and reduce it to next to nothing, which it is today. Then we set the brands up for growth, which is the fun part, right? Innovative yeah. new products, terrific creative marketing, direct to consumer, all the fun stuff that our brand leaders love to do. Um, so we we had set the company up and it was a daunting um, you know, type of challenge, but one that, uh, fit perfectly with my background. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about some of these brands, just so our listeners know what we're talking about here, we're talking about in the outdoor products side, you've got cycling brands like Bell for the helmets and so on, and Euro. Um, you've got Camelback and Camp Chef. Uh, on the shooting sports side of things, you've got Bushnell, you've got, um, uh, you know, Remington, you've got uh, Eagle, right? You've got you know, kind of a lot of different kinds of brands, uh, all in the outdoors uh, arena. Um can you teach me in one minute how to be a pro- how to be a product manager of a, of a retail brand? I mean, because it does seem that like really capturing, you know, what Camelback is. We were talking offline and how I'd profiled Camelback way back when it was a private company. But getting that brand right and getting it into the right stores and getting the retailers to feature it just right is a real challenge for every single brand. Yeah. And it's, uh, Corey, at its core, it's no different than than running any other um, product-oriented company. So first and foremost, you really have to listen. You have to listen to what people really want. So think of anything that you're enthusiastic about, you probably have an opinion on how to make that product better. But you can't just be an enthusiast. You got to take those product ideas and then say, okay, how do I make them unique? How do I deliver them wherever they want it, whenever they want it, at the price they want it? And how do we make money on it? So that whole value chain is is really what we figure out in consumer products. So we can deliver a delightful experience, yet our investors make money and our retailers are like, yeah, ship me as many as you can make. It's interesting. I'm thinking about it as it relates to this podcast, but I think every business leader that listens to this podcast is probably doing the same application to their business because it definitely, you know, you want to get the product right for the consumer. I want the, I want yeah. I want the people that listen to this podcast to know why they listen to the podcast. I want to make sure that uh, it's in a consumable and entertaining fashion, and it actually delivers some knowledge and information, which isn't any different than selling a bicycle helmet. No, it's it's no different. So we just like in Bushnell, we we uh, have a better than eighty percent of the golf laser ranger finding market. So all the measurements. So I'll tell you. 
Corey Johnson, you're 100 yards to the pin type of thing. So we created the And industry's- I usually remain about 100 yards from the pin, but it's a different problem. <laughs> but we created the industry's first Bluetooth speaker that, that does all that work like a Siri, um, but it, it's a boombox, right? So we, we did that by going out and sweating the details of listening to how golfers want to extend their experience. And no sooner did we introduce that, we're already working on version two and three and four. So our jobs is to figure out what people don't even realize they want and then figuring out how to obsolete ourselves so that nobody else does. Um, I want to go through just a few of your products so we can get a better sense of it. Talk to me about the, what's, what has happened to the wingman. And I don't mean so, the guys that used to go hang out with me at night. I mean the wingman, your putter, this, the stupidest looking putter I've ever seen. And I've seen some stupid ones. And this thing is flying off the shelves according to what you guys have talked about on the conference calls lately. Yeah, so we just came out with a rugged version of it. I just happened to have one sitting on my desk. So this is what a wingman speaker system. Now, this has got a rough, rugged, and, and some of the viewers are listening can't see this, but it's got a rugged uh, cover on it. And it's a little boom box, but it maps thousands of golf courses. And it works uh, through GPS and Bluetooth. So it'll tell you all about your playing experience. And then you bring it home and you throw it in your gym if you're working out, you throw it in your dance studio if you're dancing, you throw it in your boat if you're drifting and fishing. It, and, it's, and you can tie them together too. So it's a little bit like a Sono system where you can you know, uh, tie together three or four of them in your home and have it as a home uh, listening experience. Uh, that's, it's, it's, it's super interesting because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not what you'd think about an outdoors company would be doing. No, no, but it uh, it fits perfectly with the innovative side that we wanted to do. So we took we took this Laser Ranger Finder Market, and uh, Corey, we thought we'd sell probably twenty thousand of these. We sold two hundred thousand in the first year, and so the shortages we're seeing over in Asia with uh, chips and what have you plays right into a lot of the products that we do. Um, so, yeah, like we Camp Chef, we introduced the uh, Bluetooth uh, uh, grill. So you're out there grilling, and you got a big brisket. Right. And the big brisket is going to take eight hours and you want to get to 120 degrees. We take it. You stick in a, a temperature probe and you, you tie it to your phone and it'll say, Corey, you've got about 20 minutes left until your brisket hits 120 degrees. And, and you're out in the back drinking a beer and talking to friends and you come back in and you may have put this in the night before or you may have put it in that morning and, and you come right out and they think you're a genius chef. Right. And so that's all the work that we do behind the scenes to make I'm the- I'm picturing my teenage son last night with the Xbox and he'll just stick the thing in and go back to his room and, okay, this is, this is <laughs> well, interesting. We even, we'll turn it off for you too. We'll, so we'll set a, turn, a, a timer to turn it off. So if you do screw up and, um, and you forget that it's on, it'll go off for you. Fascinating um, technological development too, which introduced R&D costs, even as you're trying to take out G&A costs into your company. Well, you know, it's funny. We, uh, it's funny you say that, Corey, because we, we took um, $100 million of G&A out and we increased our R&D by over 20%. Every year, we're increasing it. So it's really putting the money where you want it. So it's not putting it in, you know, corporate headquarters and Taj Mahal's. I and mean, we, we went uh, virtual before virtual was popular with COVID. So we've got all these despair brands. I'm traveling all over the place. And we've created a, an operating model where we can we set up schedules of authority with our businesses, which are basically guardrails. Hey, you can spend this much, you can, you know, do it on this type of stuff. And, and then they check in when they can't and we review the results every month. So, you know, we're able to really keep close tabs on our leaders, but they feel good because they can run as fast as they want to because they know where the guardrails are. 
So where do you decide to develop? How do you figure out which areas you want to grow in and it probably helped you shed the brands you wanted to shed? So big, big strategic exercise. One of the directors on our board is a senior partner at Bain Consulting. So we brought Bain in early to help us kind of sort through what's core to our business, what's a near adjacency, and what's kind of far afield. And so we've taken them, and like anything else, we kind of figure out where we can get leadership economics, where we think our brand has permission to play, and then we invest in those areas. And we tell every one of our businesses, hey, listen, if you got 12 months or left, 12 months or less cash on cash payback, we're, we're Fort Knox. There, there's no limit to money. And if you go up to 18 months, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll look at it hard, but 90% of the time we're going to give it to you. And, and is that on a product to, by product basis or is yeah, that oh, interesting? Yeah. So, so every manager of every product has, has to know if their business, if they've got a, a 12 month return on what they invest, the, the door's open, the, the vault hey, door's open. So we're taking these enthusiasts and we're turning them into um, uh, business leaders. So here's a good example. So Bushnell, because we do all the golf, one of our guys discovered that Frisbee golf, people are getting outside like Frisbee golf. Geez, I haven't played Frisbee golf since I was a kid at, at, at camp. Yeah. So they figured out that there was a market opportunity there. Well, they came with a whole business proposal. We green lighted it and it's taken off this year. And so you get these young enthusiast kids that are coming in from MBA school or, you know, wherever. and we're giving them the green light. So they're like, Hey, I can run my own business here, but I got the safety net of a multi-billion dollar public company. That's pretty dang neat. And, and so how that's do you reward them also. You know, here I am in Silicon Valley where everyone's getting all kinds of stock options and everyone's got the, the, the golden ticket, or at least they think so. Yeah. So, Hey, listen, we, we motivate people with um, both opportunities and, and career progression and, and building out their skill set, And of course, money. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, people want to make a good buck, but more times than not, Corey, people want to get on a steep learning curve and, and add to their repertoire of skills so that they can go anywhere and do anything in life. And um, so we get a lot of people, including myself, when I started off system product manager, I said, I want to learn best in process, best in breed process systems and talent management, and then go start my own company. And I started to figure out, geez, when I was a Black and Decker, I got a promotion every 12 to 18 months. I don't need to go anywhere. So our retention rate is super high because we're retaining all these people, but you don't have to continue to throw huge amounts of money at them. They'll make money as it comes. All right. So how do you manage the, we've talked about it a lot in the, the podcast. I want to get, you know, introduce it as a new topic, but outdoor companies, companies that sell everything from firearms to uh, golf equipment. And when you guys are in all of that um, yep. have had just a spectacular camping stuff spectacular, spectacular quarters. We've seen it for everyone from Camping World to what you guys have put up. How do you manage that kind of growth? It fixes a lot of problems, certainly cash flow issues, paying down debt. That happens a lot faster when you sell everything off the shelf. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a good question. And, and clearly, I'm not here to say that we're able to fill every last ounce of demand. We just can't. I mean, but we, we make long bets. So like in some of our businesses, we're buying two years out. I mean, so we just bought a new e-bike company. They're the leaders in off-road e-bikes. We own the Jeep brand name for um, electric bikes off-road. We had two-year backlog. So what we've done is we've gone in and we work with suppliers. We leverage our scale, and we've got a 50% increase in capacity. Um, so we, we do those types of things, and we set up what we call centers of excellence, where I hired a procurement leader that's worked for me for years. Well, he kind of sits above all of our business units. They do their own procuring but he'll go and, and do the trailblazing. He'll, he'll connect them with people that they never would have been connected with. So we can take a $100 million brand 
and have them perform like a billion dollar brand because of some of the centers of excellent skills we bring to it. Um, where have you seen the, let's look at let's leave shooting sports on the side because I want to have a separate conversation about that, but, but uh, where have you seen the biggest growth in, in kind of categories during COVID? Ooh, gosh, Corey, you know, it's, you know, we're fortunate that it's been across the board. So take Camp Chef. We, we can't produce enough grills. Everybody wants to grill outdoors and, and we're the leaders in, in backcountry cooking. Um, e-bikes, you know, we, we can produce every, we can sell every e-bike we can produce for the next couple of years. Um, biking in general, you mentioned Bell. So Bell and, and Giro on the high-end road bikes, right. same thing. Um, we're producing some product that sells out in hours online. Camelback, uh, the first quarter, we were up over 80% year over year. And that's coming off of a, a, okay. a great COVID year. No, so it's across the board. People want to get out and recreate. And uh, honestly, you know, my kids grew up and 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 they love the outdoors, but there's always that pull for Fortnite and, you know, indoors and all that kind of stuff. And and getting kids outdoors and adults has been awesome. Do you see that as a as a, a permanent change? You know, um, one of the companies I follow, strangely, a company called Marine Max. They make they make yeah. sell boats. They own some marinas and stuff. And the CEO has always talked for the 20 plus years I've known him now. He's been talking about the boating lifestyle. But yeah. uh, but this notion that once you start, it, the boating becomes a part of your family's recreating. It stays part of your, your lifestyle. Um, do you see that the changes that happened during COVID with a move towards outdoors or a move towards cycling or a move towards um, the shooting sports or something are permanent changes for most of the customers, who, new customers have adopted it? Hey, with, without question. And, and so we, we talk to them every week. And we have other third parties, you know, syndicated data type of researchers that are hearing the same things we're hearing, which is, hey, listen, I've rediscovered or I've discovered some of these outdoor activities and realize I, I don't need to be indoor exercising all the time. And and a little bit different than a Marine Max is, you know, we're not a $30,000 or $300,000 investment. A lot of our products are easy to get into and uh, allows people to um, recreate in a very affordable way. When um, let's let's talk about the shooting sports because we've gone for a long time, but um, you guys have had a very interesting journey that uh, ties in with the kind of the political environment, where some very important retailers, not least of which REI, basically kicked you out after the Parkland shootings in Florida because you were involved in some of the shooting sports businesses. How did you deal with that as a leader? I don't want to get into the the politics about guns, um, but and, and REI for their I should say says that they support the Second Amendment. They support. Uh, sh the shooting sports, but how did you deal with that uh, and make decisions about what businesses you wanted to be in and what were the governing uh, uh, ideas there that may help you make those decisions? Well, so Corey, it's, a, it's an interesting question. And it was one of the first questions I asked when I walked in, because it's a very strategic question. And in part and parcel of doing the exercise with Bain coming in is we realized that we were in firearms and we shouldn't be in firearms because we were um, a player in a small segment and we had no intention of taking our discretionary funds and growing in firearms. So we got out of them. <clears throat> but why not? That business has grown. I mean, that's been a spectacular <clears throat> business to be in. Oh, it, it's been a spectacular business, but we, uh, we weren't in handguns, which is the largest nine millimeters, what have you. Those are the largest uh, growing segments. And Corey, the real decision point for us was our biggest business far and away is ammunition. We're the clear leaders in ammunition with law enforcement, military, and, and consumers. And the great, great gun companies views the, viewed us as competitors. And so we wanted to be the Switzerland of ammunition. 
so we could get into the development cycles of these gun companies. There was great irony to, in that sentence. I just got to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, yes. so that's, that's how we got into it. So, so in, to REI's um, uh, credit and in, in, in their defense, they said, Hey, Chris, we're not against um, firearms per se, particularly hunting. Cause there's a lot of um, overlap with our core customer base. What we're against is assault rifles and we're against yeah. black guns. And so we just said, Hey, independent from you, we're getting out of it. I mean, I sat down with the uh, CEO at the time. I said, hey, we've already made the decision. We're already at the almost at the five yard line of getting out of firearms. And he says, Chris, I don't want to drop your products. In fact, the day you are out or just you telling me that we're putting them back in. Because, you know, he goes, we got customers coming and asking for Camelback and Belangero and, sure. and Camp Chef. We need it. So that's how we got to the strategic decision early on, independent, even before REIs and all that kind of stuff um, made the decision they made. Um, so it, it's worked out well for us because now we're, we are the, the Switzerland of ammunition. We bought Remington and, and we're able to get into with some of these um, firearms companies and really create great solutions. Like we just introduced this waterfowl load, which is a, a lead free, um, um, shell and primer and, and, and everything so that it's very eco-friendly and, and oh, by the way, because it's got a higher density, um, metal, it's, it reaches out a lot further. It makes guys like you and I great duck hunters. Um, so it's a win-win. Uh, it's interesting. And it, and it really is a big part of your business, right? I mean, it's a bigger part of your business than your outdoor products business. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's almost, it's almost about 50, 50 between ammunition and outdoor products. Um, and we lump some other things that are not ammunition and shooting sports, which makes it uh, be a little bit right. bigger. But ammunition, no question about it, is a big part of our business. So take our uh, law enforcement officers. We own 80% of the law enforcement business. All of our special forces, all of our military branches, we're sitting down with the federal uh, government, all these agencies, and developing specific rounds for the Secret Service, for the um, Border Patrol Police, all this stuff. Um, really? And so it's, yeah, it's really, really neat what some of these rounds, because they come to us and say, hey, we they don't use different these... kinds of weapons, do they? No, but, but what they use. I mean, that's they not use... specialized for Secret Service or anything, for example. Well, he, they do. So, so the Secret Service and the FBI have come to us with a protocol that says, hey, Chris, <clears throat> you need to be able to produce a round that is so lethal, it can go through windshields, it can go through body armor, what have you, but it can't go more than 12 to 18 inches. Because we don't want any innocent bystander affected by this, right? So you can create a round that goes through all that stuff. It'll go through, you know, whatever. And so very specific. So they're very safe and, and they're just going after their very specific targets. So what our engineers have developed is absolutely fascinating to enable it to be able to stop. So literally, if it hit um, a animal flesh or, or human flesh, it would still stop within 12 to 18 inches. If it fired through a windshield, it would still stop 12 to 18 inches. And that's the technology that we developed, which I think is super fascinating. That's really Now, this is, yeah, this isn't available to the public. It's only available to um, uh, special branches of, of the government. It's, it's a fascinating business, fascinating um, R&D process as well. Now, it, it, but you, as you mentioned, you know, the ammo shortage in the country is, is remarkable. Uh, and we're coming from a world where there was concern about ammo stockpiling uh, by both individuals, uh, very concerning and for different reasons, and also by retailers. Where are we yeah. with that right now in the in the in the industry? So, Corey, we've seen very little stockpiling because in the past, stock stockpiling was the uh, 
was the answer to Second Amendment rights being infringed. But where this started was go back to George Floyd and um, and the civil unrest and people wanting personal protection. Go back to COVID and people wanting to get out and recreate um, hunting. I mean, goodness gracious, we're at all time highs on hunting. We introduced over 7 million new shooters this past 12 months, 41% of them being female, people of color, and millennials. And so it's just a, it, it just blows your mind how diverse the, um, the user yeah. group is. Uh, trap shooting is the uh, fastest growing club sport in high school athletics now. Really? Who, who'd have guessed it? Yeah. I mean, who'd have guessed it, right? So, and here I'm wasting all my time on girls lacrosse. <laughs> So um, anyways, you know, you start to see a huge increase very because the the product has been hard to get and we're producing a 24 seven type of thing. People aren't hoarding it. People are using it, which is terrific. Fascinating. Well, interesting business. Uh, Chris, uh, I could talk your ear off, but I can't talk your ear off. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining the Drill Down. Chris Metz is the CEO of Vista Outdoors. Well, coming up next, the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We're going to talk about the shooting sports revenue and how much that has grown a year over year from 2020 to 2021 for Vista Outdoors, the percentage growth rate will have that number and it's a, it's a jaw dropping one when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the drill down on any of your favorite smart speakers, including those like Vista Outdoors, a fabulous smart speaker. You're just going to yell at the thing. Hey, Alexa, play the drill down podcast. You'll like what you hear. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right. So we mentioned how fast Vista Outdoors is growing. And indeed, the whole business grew at about a 20 6.7% rate in 2021, but the shooting sports business got to be $1.5 billion uh, last year. Fantastic growth, 27.7% year-over-year growth uh, in that in that broad category, Isaac. That is really incredible growth when, you know, shooting sports was already was already big. Yeah, and getting bigger. All right, yeah. well, interesting stuff indeed. Glad to have Vista Outdoors on the show. Glad to have you listening. We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster's our executive producer. Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.